This week's episode of the Aletheia Podcast is brought to you by my friends at Features by Mel. They're highlighting young people who are doing projects that others need to find out about. They're putting the spotlight on everyone from content creators to young scientists, nonprofit organizers, and anybody else who deserves recognition for the amazing work that they do. So please do hit up their Instagram at Features by Mel. In the next couple days, they're also going to be dropping their website, so stay tuned on their IG for that. Thanks for listening, and enjoy our show. I'm going to start this week's episode off by saying something that might come across as slightly controversial. In fact, if you hear this initial statement and decide not to listen any further, you might quite possibly be inclined to, you know, cancel me for it. But as I always say on this show, never be afraid of authority when it comes to telling what's true. So here it is. Not all people deserve rights. There, I said it. Just just take it in, you know, absorb it, sit with it. Take some time to comprehend where I'm going with this. Okay, there. Now you might be wondering, Alex, what on earth do you mean not all people deserve rights? Let me explain. People who make laws without understanding what the hell they're talking about or how the hell it will impact people do not deserve rights. That's what I mean. Seriously, in this country, I feel like people just start pulling laws out of their ass in a way that just doesn't make any sense. They like to legislate on things that they don't understand. And it infuriates me unlike anything else when people try and bring other rights into the mix in order to justify the suppression of people's rights. Specifically, we've seen this time and time again with things like religious liberties. Now, listen, alright, before you think that I'm just some other atheist scientist trying to, you know, come after Christianity or other religions, trying to prove that we don't need them, relax, okay? I'm Catholic. This isn't about my religion. This is about healthcare and making policy that impacts it in a way that's responsible. And to be honest, that's not what we've seen recently. And while you might have X number of justifications for it, the truth is none of them are based in what healthcare policy should be based in. Benefiting people's health. That's it. That's the only reason there should be. And yet for whatever reason, we've decided that some things are more important than that. And as with a lot of things in American history, we've decided that it's only okay because it's at the expense of the people who are not, majority speaking, in power. Women and other people who go through periods. Specifically, we're talking about a Supreme Court decision that happened earlier this month that upheld a Trump administration regulation which would allow for employers to deny birth control coverage under the Affordable Care Act to their constituents based solely on religious or moral objections. Now, this is why I say, despite being a Christian, that the separation of church and state is one of the only things that can prevent true tyranny. And you might be thinking, wait a second, if this goes against a person's religious values, how can you possibly force them to provide it? Here's the thing. Uh, Most people don't understand why women actually need birth control, and this is why I say, if you're one of these people who makes these laws without understanding these things, you do not deserve rights. But if you're just genuinely confused as to how birth control actually is a form of healthcare, bro, I got you. This week, we're talking about birth control. Let's get into it. Stay tuned for more. Get on the train.
Hi, my name's Alex Joseph, your friendly neighborhood sleep-deprived pre-med, here to make science a little more user-friendly and the world a little less full of lies. This is the Aletheia Podcast. Now, as we get started on this, we gotta start with a little bit of a talk about legal terminology and what the hell happened from a policy standpoint. What? Us talking about law on this channel? Scary, I know. But for all my beautiful STEM people out there, don't worry, I'm gonna get right with you. But in order to understand this issue, we have to understand the policy that was instituted before we can discuss how stupid it might be from a scientific standpoint. So without further ado, let's get into it. The background of this issue was that the Affordable Care Act mandated that institutions and workplaces cover their employees' birth control, except under key religious exemptions. Specifically, churches and other types of religious institutions did not necessarily have to cover this underneath the Affordable Care Act. However, other religiously affiliated institutions, such as religiously affiliated hospitals, for instance, could object to providing birth control under a few key exemptions. Mainly, the rule was under the Affordable Care Act that they had to file an exemption either with the government or their insurance provider so that individuals who needed birth control could be covered separately from the company's account. Basically, what the insurance would do is that they would list this part of the person's insurance separately from their company's covered healthcare. So technically speaking, While the religiously affiliated company was not providing the service, the insurance company that they outsourced their insurance coverage to could cover it for the person. The idea behind this was that while religiously affiliated companies wouldn't have to provide aspects of healthcare that they saw as morally objectionable, insurance companies would still be able to cover individuals who needed it. Because for a lot of people, religious exemptions don't really matter if they need certain things for their healthcare. And birth control, as we'll talk about, is often one of those things, regardless of what people think about it. By now you might be wondering, well, hold up, if this system was in place under the Affordable Care Act, then who got pissed? After all, that's not what the current issue sounds like it's about. Aren't a lot of people being denied healthcare? And you're right, they are. You see, after this, it got a little complicated. Some religious institutions claimed that this still wasn't good enough for them. They said that because the insurance coverage was still establishing their relationship to the patient in question through them, that it was as if they were providing the service themselves. And as a result, they objected to this altogether. They did not want to be responsible at all for providing these forms of health care. As such, the Trump administration recently passed a ruling that said that the Affordable Care Act could not compel religiously affiliated corporations and companies to mandate coverage for birth control and other things which they might have a religious or moral objection to. But wait, hold up, Alex. I thought that it was Congress who wrote laws. And you're correct. But here's where it gets... complicated. You see, while Congress can write the laws, which in this case is the Affordable Care Act, which can mandate coverage of certain things, the executive branch, which is ran by the White House and the President, can make rules that dictate how this legislation is actually enforced. In other words, while Congress can write the law which says what has to happen, 
the executive branch can write rules that state how it has to happen and the manner through which it will be accomplished. And that's exactly what the White House did. They wrote a set of rules which basically stated that companies with religious or moral objections could also deny coverage to birth control without having to inform the government or their insurance providers. In short, this would effectively cut off access to birth control to an estimated 167,000 people. Big yikes. As you can imagine, many people who need birth control for a variety of healthcare reasons were not too happy about this. As a result, they appealed the ruling in federal court, which, if you don't know, has to run through a system of lower federal courts, usually district ones, and then up into appellate courts, circuit courts, before finally making all the way up to the Supreme Court. Again, this can only happen if people aren't necessarily pleased with the ruling that a lower court makes. For instance, say you sue the federal government saying that this rule is unjust. If you sue it in your local federal court but you're not pleased with the ruling that you get, you can then appeal to a higher court. If they take up the case, then you can sue at a higher level. And if they decide that your rule should be overturned, then you're all good. But as it turns out in this case, it ascended the entire hierarchy of federal courts all the way up until the Supreme Court decided to hear this case. And what they ruled in a 7-2 decision was that the federal rule which the Trump administration had rolled out was legitimate. They said that it was reasonable under the First Amendment to grant this objection to corporations that desired to. The only two dissenters for this opinion were Justices Ginsburg and Sotomayor, both of whom unsurprisingly were women themselves. But regardless of whether or not you were a woman or ex otherwise do experience a period, here's the thing. This is not a joke. For a lot of people, religion has nothing to do with their decision that they need birth control. For a lot of people, it's actually a legitimate medical treatment that they need. Now you might be wondering, wait, hold on, birth control is contraceptives. How does this constitute healthcare? Just because somebody wants to have sex without consequences doesn't mean that they should be covered under insurance, right? Right? Hey dickhead, here's the thing. Not everybody who's on birth control is doing it because they want to get it on without having kids. No. In fact, many people need it in order to manage really painful and chronic conditions. These conditions can range from anything from polycystic ovarian syndrome all the way to endometriosis. You see, like many medications, birth control, while being best known for one of its effects, can actually do many different things within the body, which it is often utilized for. Many types of birth control pills, usually the most commonly utilized ones, are often called combination pills because they contain a combination of two key hormones, estrogen and progestin. These hormones, when used together, can produce a variety of effects within the body. But it produces three main ones, which often have the effect of making it impossible for a woman to get pregnant. The first is that they stop ovulation, which is the medical term for the release of an egg from a person's ovaries. From there, what they can also do is that they can thicken the cervical mucus within the vagina. What this does is that it actually can keep sperm from entering the uterus. Because if the mucous membrane gets too thick, those guys can't really swim up into where they need to be. 
Finally, it thins the uterus lining so that an egg, even if it is released, is less likely to get attached and fertilized by sperm if indeed it needs to be. While those are the effects that we typically think of as preventing pregnancy, the reality of the situation is that these can often have great side effects for women or other people who experience periods who may need them in order to manage really painful and chronic conditions. A really great example of this is something called endometriosis. Endometriosis occurs when endometrial tissue, which forms the lining of your uterus, starts to grow in places where it really shouldn't. This can include the ovaries, the bowel, or even other parts of the pelvic region. Sometimes, in worst cases, it can even grow beyond the pelvic region. Because this type of tissue is not meant to grow in these areas, it can be extremely painful. Luckily, there's a treatment that exists which can actually handle this. That treatment, drumroll please, birth control. Remember how we talked about one of its effects was thinning the uterine lining? Well, as it turns out, this can actually have a positive effect in people with endometriosis. It can prevent this lining from popping up in places where it shouldn't. And that's why a lot of people who have it use birth control as their preferred treatment method because it can help them to manage chronic pain, which they need in order to function properly on a day-to-day -day basis. This is not a joke. For people with endometriosis, they won't be able to do their jobs or anything at a normal capacity without it. The condition is extremely painful and nobody should be forced to go through it without it. And it doesn't just stop there. There's also another set of disorders, things called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which could also be benefited by the use of birth control. This occurs when basically a person's ovaries stop producing the correct hormones at the right time. Oftentimes, they'll produce elevated levels of androgens, which are supposed to be male sex hormones, and won't produce the right levels of estrogen or progestin that they're supposed to. As a result, individuals with this condition can experience a variety of symptoms, ranging from irregular periods, making it difficult for them to get actually pregnant if they want to, all the way to painful cysts which can develop in the ovaries, which are especially nasty if they start bursting. This is an extremely painful condition that birth control can also help to manage. The hormones introduced by birth control pills can help to stabilize a woman's menstrual cycle, as well as to stop the production of androgens and other hormones that are causing these painful cysts and other similar conditions to occur within the spectrum of polycystic ovarian syndrome. The thing is it doesn't just stop there, there are a variety of possible health benefits that someone might derive from actually using birth control. The hormonal treatments contained within birth control can do a variety of things, ranging from helping to manage menstrual migraines and PMS all the way to reducing a person's risk of ovarian cancer. Yeah, that's right, it can actually be a really good tool in helping to promote menstrual health for the entirety of an individual's life. And note that I've been using mostly gender-neutral terms here because this isn't just for people who identify as women. A lot of people who are trans or non-binary still have ovaries and as a result may need to deal with these symptoms and may choose to use birth control in order to do that. And here's the thing, if you don't have ovaries, it's really difficult to imagine the predicament that a lot of these people are in. After all, the most common condition that birth control is used to treat is simply painful or irregular periods. But don't get it twisted, this is not a joke. 
okay? From the few people I have talked to on the subject of having periods, as I do not have ovaries, it can range from either a moderate inconvenience every month to literally the Battle of Hamburger Hill occurring within your ovaries. I don't even know what that means, bruh. I don't know how y'all deal with this. But seriously, y'all are a bunch of warriors for going through that every month. And it is understandable for wanting birth control to deal with that. Because at that point, it's basically a chronic pain condition that you may need medication to deal with. And I've heard a lot of people draw comparisons to Viagra. A lot of people who are on the side saying, this ruling by the Supreme Court shouldn't be upheld because why don't they object to Viagra? Don't necessarily understand why Viagra is included within the scope of the Affordable Care Act. But actually, you're spot on, just maybe not for the reason you would think. You see, Viagra is known more generically in medical terms by its base drug, which is sildenafil. Sildenafil is actually a vasodilator, meaning it opens up a person's blood vessels, allowing for more blood to flow through them. Erectile dysfunction occurs when a person's, uh, manhood can't become erect because there's not enough blood flow down there. A vasodilator like sildenafil can actually do that for them, allowing for them to have increased blood flow and get it up. But the thing is, that wasn't what sildenafil was originally used for. You see, the fact that it opens up a person's blood vessels was its original intent. Sildenafil was originally developed as a high blood pressure medication. Also, it's had its life-saving uses in treating angina, which is a kind of pain that occurs when a person's coronary arteries start to block up. In other words, it can help relieve the pain and even the symptoms that lead up to a heart attack. It's literally a life-saving drug. That's the original reason it's included under mandated covered medicines under the Affordable Care Act. But don't lose hope. This actually strengthens the case for including birth control under that necessarily as well. Because just like sildenafil, birth control has multiple uses, many of which are extremely important to maintaining a person's quality of life. A lot of people need this in order to live their lives reasonably. So that's the medical side of this. The fact is, this is not a joke for people who have ovaries. And I don't care if your religious exemptions get in the way in that. The fact is, if you are suggesting that because one of this medication's possible uses in some way offends you or is against your religion, that's a you problem. You don't get to go telling other people what they are allowed to do with their bodies. Religious liberties means, hey, this is against my religion, so I can't do that. It does not mean this is against my religion, you can't do that. Make no mistake, that's how it's supposed to be in this country. And as I'm sure many of you are used to telling other people about other issues, I'm gonna flip it towards your side. If you don't like that fact, Leave. Plenty of other countries that would pretty much support that kind of religious-based fascism. And by the way, if you're a religiously affiliated corporation who believes you have these rights, here's another message for you. If you're stating that your religion has some objection to women 
doing what they want with their bodies. Which, by the way, first of all, screw you for saying that, because there's a reason we separate church and state. Nobody gives a damn what you want, okay? I get that you're a religious institution, but you don't own people's lives, okay? I'll remind you to my fellow Christians out there, just this is my personal opinion, so we're gonna get away from the science for a bit. I'm pretty sure there's a concept we all understand called free will. You do not get to decide for another person what they are able to do with their bodies. Now, you may not have to sponsor that, which is fine, but that's why they gave you a way out from the beginning. Your insurance provider does not have such limitations, morally speaking, and you had no right to try and interfere with what they themselves were willing to do by enacting this deal with the federal government. Moreover, because you are trying to push for these rulings to be made, you need to understand that for a lot of people, this is the only way that they are able to reasonably manage their pain, to live their life according to the way they want. You had no right interfering in that before you could understand this fact. And that goes for the federal government who made this rule to, as well. If you're in a position of power, you have a moral responsibility to understand all the implications of what you are doing when you write a ruling like this. But let's get into the legal side of this. Because if you're wondering whether or not this violates constitutional rights, you might be a person who's a strict constructionist. You might say, well, no, Religious freedoms must be protected at all costs. If people have religious objections, they should not be forced to go through with something that they find morally reprehensible. Well, slow your roll, Dyer, buddy. Here's the thing. If we're going to look at this through a legal lens, I'm going to have to put on my constitutional law hat for a moment. And I know I haven't done that before, but trust me, constitutional Alex knows his shit. Let's talk about this point. Okay, you say that the First Amendment should not be limited, under which religious liberties are protected. Likely, that was the reason that this law was upheld. Here's the thing. How do I explain this? Um, there has been precedent for limiting the First Amendment for cases of practicality many times before. As Justice Ginsburg pointed out in her dissent, certain times the court must uphold or, in this case, overturn certain rules as a result of a question of practicality. In certain cases, it has been deemed necessary to limit certain constitutional freedoms for the sake of practicality and for the safety of the constituents of the United States. And yes, there is legal precedent for this. Now, if you're like me and you've taken U.S. government and politics in high school, you might remember two key landmark Supreme Court cases. These were Schenck versus the United States and the New York Times versus the United States. If you know anything about these cases, you might be a little confused as to why I'm citing them now. After all, didn't the Supreme Court uphold then that free speech couldn't be limited in these cases? Well, slow down, I'm getting there. While they did in this case rule that free speech could not be limited. What they also established was something called the clear and present danger test, which stated this, if free speech in written or print form constitutes a clear and present danger to either the citizens of the United States or to its armed forces 
in the case of New York Times versus the United States, it can in certain cases be limited. But again, the danger must be clear and present as a direct result of what is being said. Now, while this hasn't often been cited, it's the reason why things like shouting fire in a movie theater, as is the classic example, are not allowed under free speech. That creates a clear and present danger of people getting hurt in the confusion. Hence, it is illegal to do so. It's also why verbally threatening someone's life is grounds for being charged with assault. That's why you can't tell a person, I am going to shoot you. That is illegal. You will be put in jail for this. But what does this have to do with religious liberties, you ask? I'm glad you did. You see, in a similar way to this, we can assume that certain constitutional rights may be limited for the sake of practicality and for the safety of individuals protected under United States law. Therefore, I would propose from a constitutional perspective, it is reasonable to limit religious liberties in cases that present a clear and present danger to a person's health care needs. Specifically, in this case, I would argue, as Justice Ginsburg did, that upholding religious rights to the nth degree creates a clear and present danger to those with ovaries who need birth control in order to manage important conditions that they have and that they need to manage at a day-to-day basis. Boom, roasted. I just 360-no-scoped all of you who are on the other side. White House, piss off. Seven out of nine Supreme Court justices, piss off. I know my shit better than you know it. Find a new job, fight me. Okay, in all seriousness, I'm pretty sure the Supreme Court of the United States understands constitutional law pretty well, given that they're all, you know, judges and actually went to law school, but the point still stands. There is absolutely no denying two important things. One of them is that birth control is a matter of health care utilized by over 9.1 million people in the United States. The second is that there is no right by any administration to deny individuals healthcare which they might very well need on the basis of subjective morality. What an individual needs for the purpose of their health is not up to a moral debate. This is medical science. If you do not understand that, you have absolutely no business making rulings on the matter. This is something that is particularly infuriating to people within the healthcare industry. And it should be infuriating to anybody with a conscience. Seriously, some of these people justifying this, this ruling, claim to be Christians. I'm going to remove the science and legal policy from here for a moment and do something I don't often do. As a Christian myself, I would like to ask those people. If Christ himself were present today, don't you think he would be one of the strongest advocates for providing to those people who need assistance that which they cannot otherwise on their own afford? Don't you think that covering essential kinds of healthcare for millions of people who they need it is a responsibility that he would call upon you to take up as people who claim to represent those individuals. So how dare you invoke his name 
try and strip other people of things to which they are entitled. Don't you have any shame? I'm genuinely asking, do you have no shame? And look, I get it. Going back to my role as a scientist and as a person trying to enter the healthcare field, there are different things that people will see as necessary, right? Not all women use birth control for these reasons and not all people who are trans or non-binary use it for these reasons. However, people are entitled to a certain degree of privacy. We've seen this time and time again. There's legal precedent for this. Nobody has the right to question you as to what exactly you need contraceptives for. That's none of their business. If indeed you need it for your health care and a doctor has written you a prescription, that should be the end of the discussion on it. As I keep going back to as a point, as Justice Ginsburg wrote in her dissent, protecting religious rights to the nth degree at the expense of the health and well-being of individuals within our country, these are real people being affected, is reprehensible. The safety right to a life in which all people can pursue happiness is by far the most important of the rights that individuals have. So think on that. The next time you are about to make a ruling affecting people for situations that you have no experience with. This, by the way, is also why I say that every administration should be a little bit more representative of the people it serves. I'm going to say it straight up. I guarantee that if the Supreme Court had more women on it and if the people making these rules really cared about women's issues, as they would be, if they really were comprised of more women, people who are transgender or non-binary, who have to deal with periods on a regular basis and other aspects of menstrual health, that this ruling would never have been passed. It is reprehensible that an administration feels it is okay to overlook aspects of health when it only affects women and other people who have ovaries. This is disgusting from a healthcare standpoint, and it should not be tolerated in a country that claims to care about its citizens. So in closing, look, I get it. People want their religious liberties, and great, I'm all for that, all right? I grew up in the church, I understand. But people have a right to feel safe, to go to work without experiencing chronic pain, to be able to live their life to their fullest potential as all people deserve. And by the way, if you were one of these straight white dudes who's up in these administrations, making these rules, pushing them through the Supreme Court and voting on them while sitting on that board without any understanding of how this actually works, check yourself. Because I guarantee history, as well as everyone in this country right now with ovaries who understands these issues in a way that you don't, will not smile upon you very kindly as a result of these actions. And I guarantee the only thing you are preserving is not religious liberties, but the like public knowledge that your IQ is below room temperature. And I don't mean in Fahrenheit. I mean in Celsius. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next week.